With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your exile. HN Podcast. The last off-season HN podcast for a good long time. This will be it as uh, the next podcast Steve and I will do will likely be sometime this week as we make our predictions uh, on the upcoming Big Ten games and also uh, a national game as we do our uh, 15 picks a week as we've done each year before. So it's a clean slate. I think you've beaten me each of the last two years, uh, maybe rather handily. And I'll have to go back and see how we did our point system last year. We'll do it again. But we'll talk about that in the next podcast this week. But this is the last one, Steve, before we um, before we have real football to talk about. Well, there were some real football games this weekend, I guess. I didn't watch any of them. I spent a bunch of time in the car on Saturday. We had our, our dog died a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we went and looked at uh, some new puppies on Saturday, which was very therapeutic. So I was in the road a lot and then uh, did a lot of... I guess you could say uh, before football season starts, honeydews and chores, if you will, out in the the yard today. So I didn't watch any college football yesterday. Was there anything I missed? No, other than brother, I don't know. I mean, I got a little extra pep in the step. We made it through another off season. The most wonderful time is here. We had a, some good appetizers over the weekend. Couple of ranked teams. Yeah, I mean, nothing that was really all that earth-shattering other than that's probably what Colorado State did is the worst beatdown I've seen a group of five team ever give a power five team against Oregon State but um, beyond they opened up a beautiful new stadium there in uh, Fort Collins as well but beyond that just enough to you know whet your appetite a little bit before the main event the main course begins starting Thursday with a slate of games, including Ohio State and Indiana. You know, I've looked for this soundbite since I left KXNO, and I can't find it. Otherwise, I would insert it into the podcast tonight. Dan McCarney, America Comes Alive America when comes college football starts. starts. Yeah, it's classic. <laughs> it's so it's classic. classic. It's so classic, I can't find it anywhere. Maybe it was classic for us, but... I, I wish I would have saved that uh, that soundbite, but at any way, we we have we have made it. So maybe I can fire up some Andy Williams at some point in time to take us out of the show tonight with the bed, as we did back in the day when college football season began. Um, let's begin with something that you uh, tossed to me. Maybe a little bit of a reevaluation uh, on some teams now that we've had you know the preseason. Uh, certain injuries have come out. We'll talk about uh, a few of those here in a minute as well. You know, teams that maybe you thought too high, you know, after you've had a few weeks of camp to look at them, 
that if you were going to make some readjustments on your preseason prediction, here's what you would do and why. And I'll, I'll let you begin. Um, and let's start with the Big Ten West. You sent me Minnesota and Nebraska. Are you more bullish on them, bearish on them, or a mix of both for each of them? Well, let's make sure we make it clear that the dude code is in effect. So there's no pick changing. No, Picks no. Picks were made, they are in. Yes. This is just after you submitted your work, information you received that made you think, I'm not sure I got that answer on the test right. That's right. kind of what we're saying. Sure. Okay. So when you look at the Big Ten West, um, watching the Big Ten camp reports, and again, you know, this is the 10th year of them doing this, and it is, you know, you and I have long called it kind of the Michigan Sports, Info, or, I'm sorry, the Big Ten Sports Information Director Tour. And, and there's just certain things you know they're not going to do. You know, I think you even texted me the other day when you were watching the Purdue show with the uh, obligatory Purdue's going to be a lot better, uh, you know. You know, per, yeah, Purdue right? will be better this year. And I went back and I searched through DiNardo and Revson's tweets each of the last four years this time of year. And three of the four years I found the same comment. Purdue's going to yes. be better. Yeah, so you've got to look for – what I would call adamancy, meaning what they're saying with adamantly you got, and and then what they're saying consistently. And then if you see the same thing across the board, okay. So let's start with Minnesota and you know, I'm a PJ Fleck guy. Yeah. Totally in on this reality show. I've watched every episode. It's great stuff, but they were the only team in the entire Big Ten West that they gave a negative review of. And when I say negative review, I mean relative to the way they do things. Um, both Griffith and DiNardo, with no interjection from Revson at all, were adamant that they didn't think the culture change had taken hold yet they didn't think the talent base was what you would expect for a team coming off a nine win season and they seem to me to be sending you know rich rodriguez year one um you know uh the the guy in nebraska whose name escapes me that we talk about all the time um, that we're going to talk about their team, Mike uh, Riley. Mike Riley, year one. They they have got they went out of their way to temper the expectations hmm. for Minnesota. That's a huge I, yo for them. Yes, it is on everything that I have seen, and I'm talking. I've even watched like the standups that they run on BTN Live. You know what I'm saying? Like the the five minute summary clips, the stuff they put in their Twitter feed clips. Everything I've watched them do, all of their production packaging has attempted to lower expectations for P.J. Flex's first season at Minnesota. So, John, that has my spider sense tingling right there about the Gophers. Yeah, in, indeed. And it's going to be interesting to see what type of offense that he tries to run there. You remember back to the uh, Tim Brewster era. You may remember that fondly. And what did Brewster do when he first got there? What type of offense did he try to run? He tried to run a spread offense. Mm -hmm. And 
and and they were going to be making a move to an outdoor stadium. And after one year of that abysmal offense, he made the move to a more traditional power offense. And I was in Chicago at Big Ten Media Days for year two of Tim Brewster. And I asked him myself, why didn't you go with this offense the first year? Why did you make a change this year to a more traditional power-based offense? And he said, because that's just who I am. And that really was like answering a multiple choice question with yes. I looked at him and I just kind of moved on. I'm like, this guy, I'm leaving because I don't want to get any of the crazy on me. Well, that's that's Rich Rodriguez in year one. That's Mike Riley in year one, right? We, mm-hmm. we get we. This is our system. This is our culture. We were brought in here um, based on what that system and culture has produced. And by golly, we're going to install that that system and culture. Period. That's what we're going to do. What um, Nebraska? What about Nebraska? Has you concerned? The exact opposite. Wasn't it, it's actually the opposite. Everything that they are doing to temper expectations for Minnesota, they are not doing for Nebraska. They are greatly raising expectations for Nebraska. All the same clips, all the same production. It's it's a total yin and yang. They are clearly trying to they're clearly trying to insulate PJ Fleck from what they think is an oncoming train, and they clearly believe Mike Riley's program has turned a corner. And you know, I've I've no I, I don't haven't talked to him in years. I used to know Tom Deanhart really well um, when he was the college football editor for the Sporting News. Now with the Big Ten Network, he put out a top aside from what Donardo and Griffith are saying. Now I have no idea what kind of talent evaluator Deanhart is. I don't know, but he put out a list of the three best looking teams in the Big Ten. And his number one team was Wisconsin. His number two team was Ohio State meaning the guys who looked the best coming off the bus. His number three team was Nebraska. Now, I know you and I, when I, because I watched every team in the Big Ten spring game this year. Do you remember what I said about Nebraska after I watched theirs? I do not recall that. That there was a visible drop-off in the body type of their depth guys compared to the first-string guys. Visible. Do you remember me saying that? Now I do. Yeah, that that didn't look like Nebraska. The second and third units did not look like Nebraska. Well, Dean Hart's out there saying they look better coming off the bus than Michigan and Penn State do. So, hell, I don't know. But whatever it, it now, I I wonder if the if the Big Ten is just tired of Nebraska not being relevant. You know, and so is the is there almost a wish casting like, man, we really hope Mike Riley's got this thing figured out. Is is that part of it? I don't know, but everything they are doing to temper expectations for Minnesota, they did not do for Nebraska. They went out of their way to raise expectations for the Huskers. The, the one thing with Nebraska that I'm curious about, and I'm not saying this can't be done because I, I think that it can, and it's not like Nebraska's in a rebuild mode from last year to this year. There will be some stylistic changes now that they'll have a – you know, more pro style quarterback as opposed to, you know, what they had going, you know, previous is can you change your toughness level? Can you change your identity in the trenches from one year to the next? The lasting impression, and I'm sure this was up 
everywhere in their weight room this offseason was their former defensive coordinator said after the Iowa game that Iowa's practices must be a bloodbath because of how much more physical Iowa was than Nebraska. And that was clear. Iowa was more physical, not just last year, the year before. Nebraska has been, you know, I, I call them binos, black shirts in name only, for <laughs> a long time. Heck, since Indomitian Sue was on the defensive line there. They have not been the team that dictates terms at the point of attack, really on either side of the line of scrimmage. Can Nebraska make that type of physical jump from last year to this year? And for me, that's what really remains to be seen. I think that they probably can make a big jump because, again, this isn't a total rebuild job. But until I see proof positive that they are going to do that, I remain skeptical on them. Well, you know, even talking about they're making a major change on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, to the 3-4. Yeah, I mean, you're switching schemes. Uh, you have the highest paid coordinator in Nebraska football history coming in. You know, so it's a massive culture change on both sides of the ball. And if you're a Nebraska fan now, you really have to hope that this works because if you end up having to make another coaching change – after you just went through this massive transition to this scheme and culture, and then you have to maybe look at doing it again with another coach, that's when you start looking at dormant periods of your program. Mm -hmm. and, and we're already talking about a, a school that, since 2002, has not had a season where it didn't lose at least four games. That, right. That's just insane. Right. It is insane, because before that... Or maybe a year or two before that, they hadn't lost. They hadn't lost fewer than nine games in a season since like nineteen sixty something. Yeah, from nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, from nineteen sixty eight to two thousand and two, they didn't have a year where they won fewer than nine games. Yeah, which meant they probably didn't lose more than three. Mm -hmm. I know. Um, uh, my Big Ten West, and this is going to sound homery, but you know I'm really doing my best this year to not be. Is Iowa. And I took them, I took the under at six, six and a half. Uh, my prediction, six and six. I'm not changing my prediction, though. A lot of you are trying to get me to change my prediction as if that will somehow make things happen. I mean, remember, I, I picked them 12 and 0 in 2010. So, you know, what, what do I know? And this reminds me when you know, we talked about Zabo last week or the week before, he would call me up before the year began and he would get, ask me for my prediction. And whenever I would make a prediction that was like, seven and five or something like that he acted wounded he acted he acted like he was hurt he's like no no <laughs> uh, and that's why jim's jim and i'm i'm just john but this last week phil parker iowa's defensive coordinator said to the media unprompted that he believes that this is going to be the but he said quote I think it's, the, talking about Iowa's defensive line, quote, I think it's the best we've been up front as a whole since I've been the coordinator here, end wow. quote. Okay? Now, wow. the 2013 Iowa defense, I think, was top 15 against the run, top 10 in scoring. The 2015 Iowa defense was top 20 against the run and top 20 scoring defense. When I read him say that, I 
I I took a step back. I took a pause, thinking, okay. And a lot of it's AJ Epinesa, I think, in that he's going to be playing defensive end, which I thought he'd play more tackle, but I'll be wrong about that. And it's moving guys like Parker Hesse, um, and some other guys inside. Uh, to where Iowa has a lot of positional flexibility. For him to say, I think this is the best we've been up front as a whole since I've been the coordinator here, and defensive line was one of my huge concerns about this team, I think I could lean more to taking the over at 6.5 if I had a redo, but which we don't, and feel better about 7-5 and five than I do about 6-6. Six and six. So it's not like I'm saying they're going to win the Big Ten West now, but... You know, if, if they can get that type of play from the defensive line and also a defensive line, a front four that looks like it might be able to get pass, uh, pressure on the passer itself without committing other personnel assets, especially to go along with a young secondary whose best friend is a pass rush, that that could give them a little bit more room for error. Agreed. And, you know, not to feed your optimism more, but one thing I think that we need to keep in mind when – when you hear coaches making those evaluations, yay or nay, about their play, about their teams and position groups, you have to keep in mind who they're going against is your own team. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know, a lot of times that's bad news. You know, so you know, like I'm it's not bad news for your offense. Yeah, well, but in, in you in your case here at Iowa, you have an offensive line coming back that's considered one of the best in the country. So they've proven it on the field. So I mean, even if you catch, even if they're down, even if you have a couple bad practices, like you'll play a couple bad games, you know, you'll have you may have six weeks of training camp or five weeks of training camp, you're going to have down practices. But even if you catch them a down practice or two, you're talking about a defensive front that could be argued, looking at Iowa's 12 game schedule right now, that maybe other than when they play Wisconsin, the best offensive line that that defensive front is going to play all season. It's been facing the last five weeks in training camps, or uh, the last five weeks in training camp. That defensive line. So, I think that if if you if they're standing out that much going up against what Iowa has returning on the offensive line, I I think that probably speaks even more volume to what Coach Parker's talking about. The only reason, and I, I know Donardo made the comment that he thought this was one to eighty-five, the best-looking Iowa team he has seen since they've been doing these camps back in 2007. The only reason I didn't put Iowa in that group for me, I still think the schedule works against them, as we've been talking about all offseason. The schedule that worked in Iowa's favor in 2015 works against them now. And I do still wonder about the quarterback position. Even in 2015, when Iowa went undefeated, there were two games in that season early on that basically C.J. Beathard won. Pittsburgh with the drive he had at the end, and even more so the Iowa State game. I mean, he single-handedly won that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, he single-handedly won it. You go back, what was it, 10 nothing, 14 nothing, Iowa State. They've got Iowa cornered. It's like a third and forever, if I recall. And doesn't he have like a 40-yard scramble or something like that? Yeah. That turned that entire game around at that point. He won that game basically single-handedly. So I, I still think even if all of that optimism is there – the way Iowa plays football, the, the, it, I, I, there's just a margin for error cap. Um, and that's that's the reason why I didn't put Iowa in my reevaluation is there is I still think the schedule is hard, and I'm really concerned about quarterback because 
it's funny the same people that are that are building up our optimism about this team in in, in almost every other place are also sounding the alarm about the quarterback position and yeah. that has me concerned yeah i mean they they are and and we record this on sunday night the 27th of august and kirk ferentz saying last week that they'll make their quarterback announcement monday meaning monday the 28th which as we record this is tomorrow and Iowa, the last few years, has released their their first depth chart, their first official week one depth chart, the Friday before the first game, but eight, eight days before. Not like the day before the game, but the previous Friday. So eight days before the first game. They did not do that this year. So they're likely going to release the whole kit and caboodle tomorrow. And then on Tuesday, you know, they'll meet with the media and talk with the media and go over the decision there. I would, st- <clears throat> excuse me, I would still wager it's going to be Nathan Stanley, but as we've talked a great deal about the fact that uh, they haven't been able to settle on somebody. And I think that Stanley's the guy that probably privately they say they would want to have won the job and go out and to have won it by now, but has not. Um, let's go over to more of these. Uh, other Another team that you would uh, want to reevaluate, you have in the Big Ten East, Indiana. Yeah, I'm worried about Indiana because this is Donardo's home school. It's the first school that they saw, and also in even a lot of their post-camp wrap-ups they've done. Uh, it's a team you know I'm fairly high on, and when I say high on, I mean from the second level of the Big Ten. Um, other than those, other than the Big Three, they do play Wisconsin, but they get them at home at a good time. I think the other seven games uh, on their schedule, their favorites in all of them, maybe even and and maybe four, maybe five or six of them, maybe even a touchdown or more. Uh, I think this is the best defensive front they have returning since the Bill Mallory years. And I know that may sound like faint praise, but they got pros. I mean, guys like T. T. Gray Scales, those guys are making money playing football a year from now. Um, I think they have a pro prospect at quarterback, but. Denardo and the BTN crew made it pretty clear they think they have taken a major dip, or maybe major is not the right word. How about noticeable? A noticeable dip in what they've had the last few years in the offensive line mm-hmm. and at tailback. And it, it, they are concerned about their ability to compensate for that in the passing game, especially given who their offensive coordinator is, guy I know very well. Because had Michigan won that Rose Bowl against USC 10 years ago, Mike DeBoard likely would have been the next head coach and Lloyd Carr would have retired right then. So, you know, DeBoard was offensive coordinator um, during some of Michigan's best years. So I'm very familiar with him. He spent the last few years with Butch Johnson at Tennessee. And, you know, Tennessee's offenses the last couple of years with Josh Dobbs were very prolific. And, you know, Dobbs has now been Roethlisberger's backup in the National Football League. But um, it's a new dynamic where this was a team previously coached by an offensive guy uh, who let, you know, some other people run the defense. And Tom Allen came in last year and did a really good job. Well, now it's the reverse. Tom Allen's a defensive guy. He's running that side of the football. And Mike DeBoard essentially is the co-head coach on the offensive side. And the BTN crew seemed pretty skeptical that they thought that was going to be a seamless transition for a program coming off back-to-back bull bids 
for the first time in a quarter century. Yeah, and they've had a pretty good three-year run at running back as well. Um, but point taken. Um, my other team from the Big Ten would be Penn State. Um, nine and a half was the over-under, and I took the over. I maybe feel more comfortable at nine and three. And really, it's based on that comment that you told me about from, uh, was it Skippy Neuheisel on uh, <laughs> XM Radio? What was it again? That uh, yeah, Well, you probably remember it. That he thought um, they just weren't there at the line of scrimmage. That he thought they, they caught lightning in a bottle a little bit with, with the yes. offense. What, what he thought, what he saw when he was at their camp a week ago or two weeks ago, is that's not a national championship team. That's a pretty good team. They got a huge win, fluky against Ohio State on a blocked kick, and then kind of had a soft schedule, caught lightning in a bottle, and and got hot at the end of the season. That's what he thought. Okay, so that's I mean, so it's not a huge thing, but uh, another tick. Um, but the, that's a division, man, where you are one player away from eight, from nine and three being seven and five, ten and two being eight and four, right? Twelve and zero being ten and two. That's how good the competition in that division is. Right. Nobody, not even Ohio State, has a great margin for error in that division. Nationally, um, I, I really don't have the the depth of knowledge to to go too much into this, um, but you have two. Uh, Florida State and Utah, what about those two? Both negative for the same reason, offensive line. You know, I listened to uh, Andy Staples and from Sports Illustrated who went down and just a week ago and spent the day at Florida State's camp uh, for Sirius XM. And I think defensively they're going to be dynamite, man. I think Derwin James will be this year's Drabil Peppers. Um I think they will be dynamite on defense. But we've talked about this all offseason. They, they, you have never seen an offensive line try harder to get a quarterback killed than what happened to DeAndre Francois. I mean, if there's no Navy SEALs in the area, I get cornered in a dark alley, man. I'm calling DeAndre Francois. That dude got his ass kicked week after week. And I know I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Go on YouTube and watch last year's Florida State Miami game. I mean, that guy took this, that guy took a worse beating than Apollo Creed to, I, I, to Ivan Drago. Okay, got right back up every time. Well, now we're hearing maybe the offensive line still isn't there. Well, brother, when your opening game is Alabama, yeah, that ain't that ain't that ain't the position. Have question marks at quarterback instead. Okay. Do not go into a game against Alabama with question marks on the offensive line. And that schedule is tough that they're playing. I mean, essentially every major game they play this year is away from Tallahassee. Florida, uh, Alabama, away from Tallahassee. Clemson's in Death Valley. Uh, they do get Louisville. I take it back. They get Louisville at home, which is a big revenge game. Louisville put a 60-burger on them last year. But that's it. The rest of their big games, the Florida game. That's that's at the Swamp. The rest of their big games on their schedule are all away from home, and they still have questions on the offensive line. So I'm, I'm worried I'm going to be wrong about that. And then Utah. I was already a little iffy on them, you know, replacing their top six offensive linemen, and I think they're, they're kind of, you know, a, a program, you know, somewhere between where Iowa and Wisconsin is from a developmental standpoint. They're not a reload program. 
But then they threw us for a loop this week. They were they already had a, a returning starter at quarterback. Had a pretty good year, Troy Williams, last year. Well, they're starting a kid who was third on the depth chart because, remember, they had um, one of the uh, Cooper Bateman from Alabama transfer and the former high school American transferred in, too. They're starting the guy who was third string opening camp, Tyler Huntley. He's going to be their starting quarterback. Hmm. And, you know, I, you know, I think Kyle Whittingham's the most underrated coach in the sport. So I, I got to wonder, is that guy really that good? Um, is it some guys just didn't do what they were supposed to do in the offseason? I don't know, man. Just sounds like bad mojo to me. I'm just getting a bad vibe. Folks, Exile Brewing Company wants me to tell you about a big party they're going to have. Their five-year anniversary street party that's coming up on September 16th. Plenty of beer and fun will be had, as well as live sets by some very talented bands. Tickets on sale now, $20 in advance, $25 at the door during that fifth anniversary party on September 16th. The brew pub is going to be closed for regular service. Entry to the fifth anniversary street party, grounds, beer hall, patio, and annex bars will be only for those who have tickets. Tickets must be purchased in advance for $20 or at the door for $25. Cheers to five years, and here's to five more. Okay, um, let's have a little potpourri, as Alex Trebek might say now. A little bit of a mix of some interesting anecdotes from college football that you'd sent me during the course of the last week. Um, Start with this one, Heisman Trophy. Four of the last eight Heisman winners didn't have Las Vegas odds in the preseason, meaning they weren't even on the board. Um, Ingram, Newton, Manziel, and Winston. RG three was twenty eight to one, Henry was twenty five to one, Jackson last year one hundred to one. Your pick this year, Mason Rudolph. Mm-hmm. If but the whole point of this is to say that recent Heisman trends are off the board guys. If you had to pick an off the board guy, who is it? There's more guys on the board. It's like they're they're starting to pick up on this. Those guys in Vegas don't like losing. Okay. Yeah. So I so I just went and looked at today. There's like 30 guys in the board now. So coming up with somebody off the board was not was hard. But if I had to throw a name out there, I'm gonna say Bryce Love at Stanford because he's in a system where we've seen from Toby Gerhardt to Christian McCaffrey, tailbacks put up huge numbers. He's got he had a marquee game last night all by himself. He ran for 180 yards. He's got USC coming up in a couple of weeks, Washington, Notre Dame, plenty of chances for the rest of the, the, the media around the country to get a chance to see him. And then you wonder if, the, if, if he has a big year, could there be a sympathy vote? Meaning, you know, I thought the year Toby Gerhardt was second, he should have won it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would have given it to McCaffrey over Derrick Henry two years ago. And so you do wonder if 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 he's there, could you see some in the media say, you know, man, Stanford kind of deserves a break here. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm not picking him to win the Heisman because I already picked Mason Rudolph. But I noticed that trend today. So 
One guy, by the way, did pick Lamar Alexander last year when he was 101. You know what it was? No. Desmond Howard did. Lamar Jackson. He picked. That was his preseason Heisman pick. Was Lamar Jackson? Yeah. Hmm. When he was 101. So there you go. Did he get down on it though? I hope. Well, I don't think you're allowed to admit that, are you? Um, you're probably Although, listen, not. You're on, probably listen, ESP, not. ESPN employed Brett Musburger for like 20 years. <laughs> we know he gets down. But so. but did he ever come out and blatantly say it? He would just talk about the you know the boys in Vegas and the running joke when he did basketball or football games was up oh, Musburger's got money on this team because of his excitement level for for that particular team that that was I'm gonna miss Brent not being around frankly he John was, he retired to go run a sports betting channel on SiriusXM brother come on well the yeah circumstantial evidence is pretty overwhelming well there, listen there's no doubt that he got down there's no doubt about it I mean this guy. One of this guy's earliest broadcast partners was Jimmy the freaking Greek. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes. and, and and they used to make, you know, veiled overtures back in the 70s and 80s about betting on games themselves mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. studio show uh, on CBS. I mean, CBS, you know, right now you can pick, you know, there's five or six different networks that have two hour NFL pregame shows on Sunday mornings. But back in the late 70s and early 80s, it was CBS. And that was it with Irv Cross and Brent Musburger and Jimmy the Greek. And um, gosh, I can't ever remember. Phyllis George. Yeah, Phyllis George. So, and by the way, that's one of my favorite 30 for 30s, um, the Jimmy the Greek 30 for 30. That That is really good. You're right. Just absolutely phenomenal. The guy made his bones uh, on the uh, Dewey v. Truman bet yep. i mean just 1948 president or 1952 presidential or no 48 presidential election unbelievable stuff just unbelievable yep. stuff okay moving along um a tweet from paul feinbaum the mouthpiece of the sec most overrated teams in august this is the performance of these select teams against preseason rankings so where they start in the preseason rankings then how they actually perform there's two percentages shown. Better Going than a, back, now, now, this goes back how many years? 16 years. 16, 16 years. years. This is a pretty good body of work. Yeah. Okay. Notre Dame is tied for the lead. 20% of the time, those 16 years, they outperform their preseason expectation. But 70% of the time, they do worse. 70% of the time. 70% wow. out of 16 years. I mean, that's... It's probably 12 out of 16, 11 and a half out of 16. That's pretty bad. And, and that's one of the reasons why I can't stand Notre Dame because of height. But you know what? It's similar for a few other teams. Now, I would have loved to have seen the instances, the number of instances. We don't have that. But Texas, also 20% better, 70% worse. Florida State, 20% better, 70% worse. But I would bet in Florida State's instance, they don't have as many complete washouts as Notre Dame and Texas have had. Yeah. They might have been preseason four, wound up 13th, something like that. And then um, Penn State, better 25% of the time, worse 70% of the time. And Florida, better 30% of the time, worse 70% of the time. Can I tell you, I was very surprised Michigan was on that list. (laughs) I didn't. 
when that graphic first came out, especially because it was tweeted by Feinbaum, and everybody knows he hates Harbaugh. So I was like, my first reaction was, wow, we're not on that list. And then my next reaction was, I was shocked Florida and Florida State were on that list. Well, I would, yeah, I would because say Florida, Florida you're, you're at the end. If you're going back 16 years, that's the end of the Spurrier era. And that encompasses the entire Urban Meyer era. Mm-hmm. With Florida being a 70, a 30-70 mix, that's 100% total. Does that mean they were ranked every year preseason? That's a good question. I would, If I had to guess, the answer to that is yes. Yeah, I can probably go find that out. But um, but Michigan was so bad there for a while, there just weren't any expectations. In fact, you know, it's funny you mention that because I actually just saw the stat today that, um, well, Michigan used to, not too long ago, they held the record for most consecutive AP polls ranked. Of course, that ended in the Rich Rod era. But um, I saw today that when the AP poll came out on Monday, it was the 29th consecutive poll Michigan was ranked. Prior to that, they hadn't been ranked since like week three of the 2013 season or something. Mm-hmm. So Alabama's got to be making a run. I guess what you're telling me is we sunk so low there for a while, we couldn't be traditionally overrated anymore. I guess, yeah, right? uh, unfortunately for you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, uh, I think they call that faint praise. I think it's what that's called. Yeah, thanks. it is. Yeah. Um, moving along here, I was just watching C.J. Beathard have a great drive for San Francisco. He's not doing too bad tonight. Marshall Kane made a 58-yarder. Um, wow. He's trying to win a job in Minneapolis. Then he missed a 47-yarder. Um, <laughs> and just you doing... know, John Lynch got some heat during the draft for taking Beathard. Well, not only and... taking Beathard, taking Beathard in the third round. Yeah, well, the way he's performed in the preseason. He might be their backup. He might be the backup quarterback there, you're right. Yeah, I mean, he, he was he was dealing. Now, he had an 87-yard touchdown pass that he threw three, yard, three yards on third and 23 on a short screen, and they were just trying to, you know. That helps the old QBR. That, it, it does, but he, he made a great pass across the middle on third and nine to keep a drive going that wound up being like a 10-play, 77-yard drive. Um, other little bits and pieces that uh, you had sent to me. I'm scrolling down through. Um, from your uh, Michigan podcast, if, Michigan podcast account, you probably do a lot more sports tweeting from that account. I would say than your normal Steve Dates account. Is that right? Um, yeah, I, I used to just use the one, but I do most, not all, but most of my sports stuff now. I do over at the Michigan podcast. At Michigan podcast, if you want to follow that, um, Clemson is the only team to finish higher than its preseason AP poll rank for six straight seasons. So even last year, they were preseason number two. I was going to say, that's like... Finish number one, yeah. That's pretty good, considering they've had a pretty good run. Um, and, and Dabo Swinney was just rewarded with, what, like a six, five- or six-year extension for over $6 million a year? Well, to me, that number right there says says that he's worth it. No question, if anybody is. Um, speaking of somebody probably worth it as well, Nick Saban... None of Nick Saban's national championship teams started preseason number one, and only one of them finished undefeated. Interesting. Where do, a, they start, where do they start this year? They're starting number one. Number one, yeah. Hmm. So that includes LSU, all five of his national championship teams, his four at Alabama and his first at LSU. None of those teams that went on and won those national championships was the preseason number one team. Hey, one thing I forgot to mention earlier when we when we had some Big Ten talk going, um, we talked a couple of week, weeks ago about 
Wisconsin losing linebacker Jack Sitchie for the season to a knee injury. And, you know, he was clearly their best linebacker returning as they've had some NFL losses and graduation losses. They lost another linebacker today or, or this weekend for the season. Now, I don't know if he was a starter in their 3-4 alignment, but he's somebody that was going to be counted on, somebody that was in the 2-deep roster. And Wisconsin is just not a team that can lose this many guys after losing, you know, two or three of their top studs last year. At some point in time, man, you start hitting the bottom of the drain. Yeah, and you're talking about Zach Braun. Uh, played all 12 games last year as a freshman. Was challenging in camp for a starting spot as an outside linebacker. Um, so he he's he was in the two deep. So now we're talking about he's gone, Sitchie's gone, Beagle's gone, T.J. Watt's gone. That's a yo, man. I mean... Uh, you only have 53 scholar. I'm sorry, 80, 85 scholarship players. I was thinking NFL. Yeah, you're in the NFL mode. But uh, that's a depth issue, especially when your system calls for putting not three, but four of them on the field at one time. Right. You know? So, yeah, absolutely. That's a depth issue for the Badgers. You bet it is. You know, you, you bring something up there, a depth issue because of a three, four. People that employ that scheme, you got to recruit a little bit differently, do you not? I mean, you got to take more linebackers. It gives you more flexibility in recruiting. In that, like the kid we're talking about now, Zach Braun, was originally recorded, re- recruited as a dual threat quarterback. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it gives you more maybe take a few more guys that are your the athletes that you can maybe have yes. some position flexibility. And when you're dealing with a defensive line, you know you and I've talked for years. What is the position? In college football, that separates the men from the boys yeah. is the defensive front. And there's only so many of those guys. And a lot of them are down south. I mean, we produce big, burly linemen up here, but not got, most of the time, you know, that's why programs like Iowa and Wisconsin can have, you know, good to great offensive lines every year. But, but the kind of size we, we, we produce up here are guys that don't typically have the great lateral movement. They're road grader types. They're more offensive linemen than defensive linemen. And so there's not that many of those guys to begin with. Most of them are down south or out east, or I'm sorry, down south or out west. You know, uh, there's only a few programs in this conference that have the reach from a brand standpoint to go to the places where most of those guys emanate from and, um, and pull them out. You know, our, our big name talent states up here, even Ohio and Pennsylvania might produce one or two or three of those kids a year, maybe, at that level. So what's one way that you can be consistently good on defense and just work your way around that? Well, there's two different ways. One is to just have a, a you know, a killer developmental system with a scheme that you know is just so well executed every year that's predicated on and if you know, I don't believe most college quarterbacks can make that NFL intermediate throw and that's Iowa's way of doing it. The other way of doing it is don't worry, just play numbers. I don't have to I don't have to put four of those guys on the field every day. I have to put three and I've got another hybrid player that I can develop and turn into a linebacker based off of his athleticism even if he doesn't have that those traditional metrics and that's the way Wisconsin does it. Last thing here for tonight uh, and then again we'll have uh, another episode later this week when we begin our preseason predictions week by week as we are in game week now. 
Um, Earl Bruce, you wanted to mention something about him. Earl Bruce got to know him uh, really well when he used to coach the Iowa Barnstormers. And um, uh, argument could be made, best football coach Iowa State ever had. Certainly some of the best seasons Iowa State ever had. In fact, I just watched the other day, I've got on DVD a copy of the 1977 game when Iowa and Iowa State renewed their rivalry by order of the Iowa legislature. You know, and um, Bob Cummings is the coach at Iowa. They're not very good. His kid's the quarterback. It's a fun game to watch because, the uh, you know, a very young and sandy blonde-haired Dan McCarney is a young grad assistant for the University of Iowa, and yet he somehow manages to get himself into every sideline camera shot on the Iowa sidelines. Iowa State comes out in those classic beat Iowa uniforms. You remember I bought a throwback of those several years ago. Oh, how could you not? When you and I were doing a show out at uh, Shields, I think it was. And um, that's a great era of Iowa State football. One in Lincoln, had nationally ranked teams, um, and parlayed that into taking over for his old mentor, Woody Hayes, after the 78 Gator Bowl when Woody got fired for slugging that Clemson player. And, and you know, Bruce averaged about 80% wins at Ohio State, actually had a winning record against Michigan when he got fired in 1987, had a very successful career at Colorado State, and then Sonny Lubick to, took over at, when he retired and did even better, became a team that was frequently in the top 20, top 25, came out of retirement to try and save the old original Iowa Barnstormers. And it was there that I really got to know him really well. Jim Foster, the founder of Arena Football, creator of it, founder of the old Iowa Barnstormers, um, brought Earl Bruce around me a lot, basically because I did a local talk show in Des Moines, and he wanted to get in my good graces, so I talked well about the Barnstormers to help out the team. And one of the things that uh, he figured would appeal to me is to give me a chance to get to know the old Iowa, the, the old Ohio State football coach. And, you know, um, I, Woody was gone before I became a Michigan fan. So the original Ohio State coach for the rivalry as I was growing up was Earl Bruce. And it was just surreal because him and I really got to develop a friendship. You know, and when I went to work over at the Iowa Cubs station, after Earl retired again, he would come on my show then. You know, we would talk off the air, talk football off the air. And sometimes I'd call and talk to him. And during that time, he told some phenomenal Woody Hayes stories. I mean, stuff that was just, if you're a college football, you know, aficionado, you just soak this stuff up. Like when Woody died, um, he had this chest that was where he kept a lot of his keepsakes. And he left the key to it to his wife. And when she opened it up, he died in 87 or 88, I think it was. When she opened it up, John, she found honorarium checks for speaking engagements going back to the 1950s that he had not cashed. And wow. the, reason that what, the reason that Woody never cashed him is he, his big thing was he didn't want to have to owe anybody anything. And so several of these stories are not family-friendly, um, so I can't tell them on the podcast. But there's one that relates to this that I, I do want to share. 
because I think it goes it, – I'll, I'll clean it up as best I can. But it goes right to what I was just talking about and just how, you know, how old those old school values of be your own man and rugged individualism, how much of that we've lost with men like this. Earl is a young assistant at Ohio State. All right, he's, he's, this is his first year as a full-time assistant. He's gone from GA to full-time assistant. And Woody has put him in charge of organizing a recruiting trip. And I can't remember if it was to like Cincinnati or Cleveland, but it was another big city in Ohio not named Columbus. So it's the dead of winter. The season has just ended. They're making a January house call on this player. What do you know, when we were kids, was famous for wearing those short sleeve shirts on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how cold it was, you know, to send a message, you know what I'm saying? So it's the dead of January. What he doesn't, what he's not driving. By the way, Earl, you did tell me, you know, and he's, he's, as you mentioned, he's battling Alzheimer's now. That's why we were having this conversation now. He did tell me that story about Woody pushing his car on a recruiting trip across the Michigan and Ohio line when it ran out of gas mm-hmm. so it wouldn't spend money in Michigan. He did tell me that that story is true, but it was only like 10, 10 feet, okay? It wasn't like – it was it was not like a two-mile push, right. okay? That, it, that was why it was a joke, okay? But – so they go on this recruiting trip. Woody's got the, his window halfway down in the dead of January. Reading one of his military history books – does no small talk with Earl the whole way there at all. Nothing. Silence. They get to the recruits' home, and of course, mom's made dinner and everything else. Snap of the finger, man. Woody's turned on the charm. He is good to go. This is the best apple pie I ever had, right? You know what I'm saying? He is Mr. Rico Suave. They get out, they get out to the they get out into the driveway. Earl looks at or Woody looks at Earl and he says, where are we staying tonight? And Earl says, well, coach, there's um, Swanky Hotel here in town, nicest hotel here in town, and an Ohio State booster owns it. And we've each got our own room, penthouse suites. He's putting us up for the night. He just wants to support the program. He's happy to do it. And Earl's like, Woody look, looks him right in the eye and says, F that. We're not effing doing that. <laughs> and Earl's like, what do you mean we're not doing it? I mean, this is a free room. Best hotel in town? He goes, call the airport. Tell him Woody F. and Hayes wants his room at the airport. And Earl's like, uh, why would you have a room at the airport? You know, he doesn't understand what he said. He said, call the airport. Tell him I want my effing room. Don't know what I'm talking about. So he calls the main switchboard at the airport there. Sure enough, Woody has a room at the airport. All right? <laughs> so he's got a call back. Now the guy that runs this other hotel come up with some, you know, cockamamie excuse for why they're not going to take this room because you can't tell them the real reason, you know. And they drive over to the airport. And Woody's quote-unquote room in the airport is in the back, you know, where, back in the day when pilots really did do red eyes and flew all night. You don't let them do that anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially where the pilots would crash. So there's nothing back there. It's just a dark room. With where, they would, where they would go sleep. Yes. Yeah, you start saying right. pilots would crash. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yes. Thank you for correcting that. Wow. Okay, yes. Yes. Where pilots would sleep so they would not crash. <laughs> yes. 
And it's it's a dark room with some cots and a bathroom and a john and one black and white TV. Okay. So they get there and Earl's Earl's like, I gotta go to the bathroom, man. I've been holding this whole time. I got the turtle head showing. I gotta go. Okay. Woody, of course, gets to go first, showers, everything, while Earl is just holding it for on for dear life. Okay. Finally, Woody comes out. Earl gets to go to the bathroom, takes a shower, does his duty, comes out. All the lights in this room are on. Woody is up reading that same war book in his bed. Earl goes to shut off a couple of lights, and and Woody looks at him and just says, shakes his head, no. I want him on. All right, so now Earl can't sleep. He's showered, so he's awake. All the lights are on. It's like, maybe I'll see what's on TV. You know, um, turns goes to turn the TV on. Woody looks at him and says, F that. I don't want the TV on. <laughs> so now the lights are on. He's wide awake. Can't watch TV. He's got no book. There's no cell phone. <laughs> I know. All right. Then have groupies at the airport hotel. All right. So you're on your own, partner. So he's waiting for Woody to fall asleep. Finally, Woody starts to slowly sink into his bed sheets. And he eventually falls asleep and puts this war history book essentially over his face to cover his face, and he crashes. Earl's like, I'm going to give it a few minutes, make sure he's asleep. Then I'm going to make my move. So he gives it a few minutes, takes a couple of tender steps out on the floor, just moving his feet around to see if it wakes Woody up, just to test it, make sure he's asleep. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty clear Woody's out. He's done. He's done for the night. So very quietly, Earl gets up off his cot, tiptoes over to the black and white television. That's right, kids. He had to get up and manually turn the channel. That used to happen, okay? He's walking over to the TV to turn it on, and just as he's about to turn it on, Woody sits straight up out of a deep sleep, and he shouts out, F them all. F every last one of them and crashes and goes to sleep after that <laughs> now earl is freaked out of his mind okay this is his mentor this is his coach this is the living legend and he's pretty sure the guy's bipolar and insane never seen anything like this from him at all so the next morning they get up they go downstairs the airport cafe of course is packed with commuter traffic it's a big city in Ohio. Woody is a household name. He shows up for breakfast, man, and it's like Elvis is in the building, right? People lined up for autographs, everything else, and Woody could not be more charming. Signing everything, taking photos with those old flash cameras and Polaroids and from the old school days. I mean, it's it's a rope line in between bites of an omelet. Finally, the, work, the crowd filters out. You know, they got to go to work. And that leaves Woody and Earl alone in the cafe with just a couple of stragglers after everybody's caught their commuter flights. Woody's had now, he's had an extra cup of coffee, he's up, he's going. And, what, and Earl's like, you know what, the old man's in a good mood. I got to find out what that was about last night. So now that Woody seems like he's open to like treating Earl Bruce as a human being again, Earl looks at him and says, coach, brother, I got it. Can I ask you something? And Woody says, of course. And Earl says, last night, in the dead of night, 
you woke up and you and he's whispering to him now and you get now earl is telling me this story at the latin king in des moines all right and he's had about three or four drinks himself so he's in a lather and and he's trying to act out woody's mannerisms and whispering like woody when he's doing it so i'm not doing this story justice trust me nothing like watching earl reenact this okay but earl leans it says he leans over to coach hayes whispers politely to him and says coach last night in the dead of night out of nowhere you just woke up and started screaming f them all f every last one of them who are you talking about did you have a nightmare and Earl said Woody looked right at him with a steely glance like you would have seen on game day. And he took his cup of coffee and he slammed it down on the table as hard as he could so that the remaining people in the restaurant, everybody turned. All the waiters, everybody turned and looked right at Woody. He had their attention. And he pointed his finger at Earl Bruce. And here's what he said. He said, I'll tell you who, I, who, who that was for. That was for every one of these effing Ohio State fans who thinks because they buy a ticket to a game or they give the university money, I got to play their kid. I got to listen to their bleep. I got to care what they think. That I, they get to give me their input on how to coach my effing football team when they don't know their effing head from a hole in the ground. What I meant was F them all. F every last one of them. I don't owe them a damn thing. Now that, brother... That's a story right there. That's Woody Hayes. That's a good story. And as you mentioned, um, Earl Bruce is uh, battling Alzheimer's, so that's why you brought that up. Good story. Good good, good way to start to uh, get ready for college football season. Steve and I will be back again later this week to have some predictions. The fun begins soon. Thank you, as always, to Exile Brewing Company, and thank you for listening. <laughs>